0: Hello and welcome to The Tangent Tree. My name is Samantha Stephen.
1: My name is Simon Dillon.
0: We are here in your ears, the smooth voices, first thing in the morning, maybe last thing in the evening, on your drive to work.
1: Or whenever they're listening.
0: <laughs> exactly. It could be any time. I think we've talked about even the ambitious people who could listen to us in the gym. Yeah. Bless their souls.
1: See, I can't do that. I can't listen to things if I'm exercising. Not that I go to the gym, by the way. <laughs>
0: I was just I was like, Simon, do you go to the gym? I go
1: running in the, in the outdoors. I don't go to the gym.
0: (laughs) See, I do, I do no exercise. I am going to start doing yoga, but I feel like I would not listen to a podcast while I was doing yoga.
1: Well, I don't, I look, it's just the thing. I can, I can only focus on one thing at once. (laughs) Okay. It's like, it's like I don't eat popcorn if I go to the cinema because I can only focus on one thing at once.
0: So I'm studying sociology at the moment, right? And I really like I'm being deconditioned of of saying things like "Oh, you're such a man," but I really, really want to say it right now.
1: I think you should say it. Oh, no. I think you should. laugh. will come back
0: and it'll bite me in the ass. Uh,
1: how? Just, just, just <laughs> em- embrace the cliche. I mean, no. you know, so. do not
0: embrace the cliche, everyone. Do not embrace <laughs> the cliche. It's like the worst piece of advice you've ever given. I don't
1: see. I don't see why. <laughs> cliches have some basis in fact. I mean, otherwise they wouldn't be cliches.
0: Well, we're already doing it. We've literally just said hello and we're already on a tangent.
1: It's a good tangent. (laughs)
0: It is a good tangent. So if you haven't gathered already, this is literally just a podcast where we talk about things that pop into our heads, normally from the basis of film or television that we like. And then we just go places.
1: Indeed. I mean, we normally plan a bit what's going to pop into our heads as well. <laughs> we do, but sometimes
0: <laughs> so, it just goes crazy.
1: I, I mean, in this particular podcast, mm. I think we're going to talk about, um, well, it kind of stemmed from a curious conversation I had with my beloved wife. And just to give a bit of background. Do it. Um see i i am obviously you know i like i appreciate all genres okay and uh, you know
0: how how magnanimous of you
1: well no i i don't i don't okay i don't see how any self-respecting film buff can say otherwise okay you have to at least i mean it's not that you can't have favorite genres but you have to be able to appreciate all forms of cinema Mm. otherwise you are not a film buff you are merely a film watcher yes okay
0: see i would definitely consider myself a film watcher
1: I would consider myself... Well, again, it's the cut me and I'll bleed celluloid thing, okay? You are, 100%. Or ones and zeros if it's been shot digitally. (laughs) But anyway... what I was going to say was this, and that's this is really rambly. I apologize. This This might be a bit of a rambly podcast because it's got a sort of vague theme to it, but it may go off on some weird areas. So apologies That's in literally advance. the
0: point of this podcast. Stop okay, so, apologizing. So, so
1: back to the point. <laughs> um, my wife loves science fiction, fantasy, you know, action thrillers, gangster films. Um, but weirdly, I... I She's not that keen on romance as a genre, mm-hmm. okay? Now, uh, again, talking about cliches, okay? Yeah. You know, the sort of cliche would be that I would be more into that sort of thing and that maybe she would be... In, uh, actually, I'm much more into romance uh, as a genre than yeah. uh, than she is. Um, but here's the interesting thing. She made a comment which I thought was very telling and she said to me this. She said... Uh, I like my romance as a side dish and not a main course.
0: Interesting. Okay, so what does she mean by that?
1: What she means is as a subplot in a film. So, for example... In The Empire Strikes Back, there is a romantic subplot, a sort of almost like a screwball comedy with Han Solo and Princess Leia, uh, you know, where, where they're sort don't of...
0: Don't forget the third wheel, Luke Skywalker. Well, of
1: course. Which the, is a bit <laughs>
0: gross, once I get certain places. Spoiler, yes, if you sh- don't know, it's wrong.
1: <laughs> yes, but at the same time, they didn't know that when they were making the film, so that's what makes it doubly hilarious. Anyway, but it is interesting, the... Um, uh, the thing with Han and Leia in in that film is that it was written the the initial draft of the screenplay was written by Lee Brackett who of course did write screwball comedies and uh, you know in the forties and so yeah on. it's
0: got that very so, specific flavour and you know, when it came out it's that similar time frame with like what's up Doc it's th- exactly that very similar and, feel. and you know
1: would it, would it help if I got out and pushed you know <laughs> yeah. so it's hilarious but just to just to come back to what uh, what sh- what my wife was saying was that uh, you know again in all of the a lot of action films a lot of sci- science fiction films, a lot of fantasy films and, and stuff that she she really likes has romantic subplots in it. Mm. Um, you know, North by Northwest, which is one of her favourite films. Um, it's still probably my favourite Hitchcock film. I know I ought to say Vertigo. Vertigo is so close to, to toppling it. I mean, every time I watch Vertigo, it just gets better. It's it's, it's on the precipice. It's, it's such a revered work. But for me, I think North by West pips it to the post but mainly for nostalgic reasons, not necessarily for cinematic ones. Yeah, that's so, where
0: Phil becomes very personal. Well, it I does. Think.
1: I mean, in the case of North by Northwest, the first time I ever watched it was with my father when mm. I was quite. It's the first Hitchcock film I ever saw. And it just blew me away. I thought it's one of the... It's probably my favourite spy film ever. Yes. But it also has this lovely romantic subplot in in the kind of, you know, is she or isn't she a villain, you know, with Eva Marie Saint and Cary Grant. And it's just that whole sequence on the train. And, you know, it's it's absolutely... The chemistry is so brilliant. And and yet it's part of a greater whole. It's not really the main thrust of uh, of the narrative. So that's really what... What my wife was saying, she was saying she likes romance as a side dish.
0: Okay, so what's an example of romance as a main dish then? Okay,
1: so romance as a main dish would be something like Gone with the Wind or Doctor Zhivago, or
0: where it's all about that yes. relationship. Yes.
1: Well, well the thing okay. is, Doctor Zhivago, the side dish in Doctor Zhivago is the Russian Revolution.
0: Okay, okay, I understand.
1: It's it's the side dish in Gone with the Wind is the American Civil War and so on and and the aftermath thereof. And or in or in I don't know. I mean, it's funny. People often talk about Casablanca in these terms, but again, I actually think Casablanca weirdly is about five different genres in one. You know, it's a wartime drama. It's a, almost a musical. There's a lot of music in it. Well, you I was going to say,
0: there's some movies where it, it's. I I think you could argue that it's not a main dish or a side dish. It's it's just another element within it's the a, dish. It's a
1: six course meal. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. So, <laughs> for example, course. like uh, you get some movies where it's all about character development. And it's just a part of the character development. Well,
1: I think if you're talking like Anna about.
0: Anna Karenina, for example. Y- yes.
1: I mean, I would. That
0: has massive romantic subplots, but it's not. The well, main thing. Okay,
1: well, I think what you're talking about there is the difference between romance and and, and you know, general category of drama, which mm. I never like to use as a general category because I think it it, it implies a sort of um snooty superiority. You sound like an
0: announcer at the Oscars. General category drama. <laughs> yes,
1: but you under you understand what I mean, though, don't you? Yeah. It's, it's actually a ludicrous category because everything's drama. Mm. It's like it, you being know, being
0: human is yes. dramatic.
1: Exactly. So I do understand where it's kind of I understand the sort of there are certain genres that have certain tropes and so on and. So on but there's this sort of inherent snobbery and it, i tell you in the literary equivalent is the sort of you know people talk about literary fiction as yes. a genre and what it basically means is might win a booker prize and and it's not some you know ghastly who done it or whatever and it's kind of you know what i mean that whole thing is ridiculous i have no time for that kind of snobbery but i do take your point and i do think that obviously i love anna karenina i love you know a lot of tolstoy is a good example i mean you know those those are brilliant books mm. and they um and what they do is that you're right they're not primarily romances but then but there's w- a
0: lot of romance in them
1: exactly because it's
0: the same with War and Peace talking about a story again there's a lot of romance and a lot of different couples partnering and uncoupling and coupling with someone else and of course. all the drama that comes with it but that's not the point it's all about the character development
1: Whereas, well, you see i would argue that something like Pride and Prejudice when so we're going on a literary tangent here but something like Pride and Prejudice love it pride and prejudice i would argue is a romance but there's a side, there are a lot of lovely little side dishes that it's actually a very satirical novel
0: i love Um, pride and prejudice Prejudice. i remember so i i watched pride and prejudice before i read pride and prejudice and um i remember reading it and being shocked by how good the book was really yeah and i had this moment (laughs) which is so cliche i think i must have been about 13 or 14 and being like jane austen is a really good writer which everybody has said multiple times for like more than a hundred years, two hundred, three hundred. Do you know what I mean? But
1: she has a tremendous wit, and hmm. I think that I think that what I like about Pride and Prejudice is that it's not. Yes, as I say, it is a romance, but it's also self-questioning and satirical. And I, weirdly, I think a lot of the classics are self-questioning in that way.
0: Well, those people who kind of think, poke fun at the society they live exactly.
1: in. Exactly. And I think that, and funnily enough, I think that it's not even sometimes that, I mean, I think J- J- Jane Austen did do that, but I think sometimes you get in a case of something like Jane Eyre, for example, mm. which again, I think is a romance, is a gothing, gothic brooding romance. But Very much it is a,
0: all about those two characters. Yes,
1: but at the same time, there's something about the way. I think she's gently poking fun at the kind of Byronic hero thing with with Rochester and the way he falls off his horse when he's introduced you know there's just something <laughs> yeah. a little bit about that 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 kind of I think again is just gently poking fun at the genre.
0: I think there's also you could possibly look at the difference there between the female gaze in writing and the male gaze in writing. Definitely. Cuz honestly when you have a woman looking at it and a woman's perspective in that time period not necessarily now but in that time period obviously men were walking around like they had to be a certain type of of figure and if they were romantic, they were dark and brooding and women were like, you're an idiot. Kind of like the way women... I hope I don't get attacked for this, but look at some types of incels online who are all about, well, in order to look a certain way, you have to have the golden ratio on your face and women are like, just be a nice person. Don't be a prick. What is a golden ratio?
1: I don't understand anything that you're talking about now.
0: (laughs) Okay. So have you heard about this movement online? I'm aware of.
1: Oh, yes. No, I know about incels. I just don't know what the golden ratio is. I mean, this sounds like some kind of.
0: So the... Uh, Weird occult thing. I'm going to explain this really badly and my partner Alex who's sitting next to me could explain it so much better, I imagine. But essentially it's this perfect mathematical equation which is throughout everything. I think they find it throughout da Vinci's works, throughout mathematical equations and all sorts of stuff. But it's, it's literally the perfect balance of everything, hence the golden ratio. And apparently you can have that within a face. So you know how biologically we are structured to desire like um, symmetry, I I, I see. So these people think and there's a a whole rage where they're going to plastic surgeons now to have their face changed so that women are more likely to date them. Wow. Instead of working on their personality. I see. So I feel like in literature, this whole brooding man who's like, carefully constructed and very much infallible i i agree with you i think he falls off his horse so that it's like and he's a human being yes plus we'll make him blind bam
1: yes i mean by the way that's an interesting one because i mean i've recently come you know the whole mary sue term
0: would Mm. you say this is a sort
1: of male equivalent then of that time
0: maybe unpack mary soon term okay people listening
1: okay well mary sue was the idea it's again a trope that i don't use that term because it just irritates me but it's it's a trope used often by sort of nerdy sci-fi type people when complaining about sort of perfect female characters in science fiction dramas and fantasy dramas typically where it's they've just introduced this female character who's you know an expert at kung fu and you know just has no flaws and 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 doesn't seem to and uh, do you understand what i'm trying to say so that's the that's the stereotype has no narrative meaning other than you know we're just going to stick this seemingly perfect female she, yeah, character yeah she's into. there to
0: bounce off on the man there's another example of that which is the manic pixie dream girl
1: yes i've heard of that one
0: <clears throat> so a good example would be 500 days of summer yes that is a such a good film
1: i like that film a lot
0: but i think it's got you, the
1: smiths in it that's one of the reasons i like it but if you smiths.
0: watch it from an analytical perspective and you look at his relationship to her and you can watch it from his perspective right so you watch it through and you feel like he's quite hard done by. He's He's been led on by this girl and then all of a sudden she doesn't want to be in a relationship with him and this is how he feels and then she goes off and then he goes off and they meet many years later and she was this epic chapter in his life where they ran through Ikea together and pretended they'd have a home someday, right? Yes. But then if you actually watch it from her perspective throughout the whole film, from the first scene, she goes, I'm not looking for a relationship I'm not interested in anything long term. I'm not, you know, there yet in my life. You're not the one for me again and again and again and again. And he just doesn't hear this the entire time. And at the end of the film, she's married. And he's like, what the fuck? Why are you married? I thought you were the love of my life. And she's like, I clearly told you, you were not the love of my life. Like, why aren't you picking up on these signals? So he saw her in his life as a manic pixie dream girl, whereas when you look at it through her perspective, she very clearly had agency and had her own thing going on. Yes. Do you know what I mean? It's this interesting picture. So I think um, women with agency in books and film is very different sometimes than women without them. And there's a lot of films that we can talk about this. And maybe that's the difference between romance as a side dish and a main plot. Because in romance as a main plot the woman tends to be just there for the romance.
1: Yes, well, that's that's one of... Okay, I mean, that's an interesting question, actually, because you see, now I'm mentally going through some of my favourite romantic... Do it, story. do it out loud. So, I mean, like The English Patient, for example, You know, I adore that film. I mean, it's just such a beautiful film. I love the performances, I love everything about it, but, you know, I, 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 I don't know, I, I struggle to sort of see the female characters in the way you describe i th- i think i think there's more to them than mm. than just they're there for the romance um now let me think now doctor shivago i'm just again i'm kind of mentally go i'm going do you know what? i'm going to have to go away and think about this
0: yes but so, there are some where they are more developed and there is more nuance and more depth so i think it's it would be easier to look at the mainstays of your romantic comedy yes to see this in action yes. um so i don't know pick anyone i I suppose it's my
1: it's my tendency to go to the doomed romances because those are my favorites sorry okay well if we go to the romantic comedies let's talk about bringing up baby for example i mean her whole purpose is in that film is to you know basically marry gary grant isn't it
0: yeah but contrast it with something like 10 things i hate about you yes so which is based on what's that based on oh it's
1: taming of the shrew yeah taming of the
0: Shrew. so compare it with that where you have a female character with a lot of depth yes very much her own thing going on yes but still romantically interested in someone but has has this going on compared to something like that yes it's very different female characters
1: yes i think that is interesting um how about something like the graduate that's interesting oh my god
0: it's been a long time since i've seen the graduate
1: um or something like i'm trying to think now i mean do you know what though um what's up doc which is hilarious yes kind of based in some well inspired to some degree by bringing up baby i mean if you get that she is she a manic pixie dream girl the barbara streisand character in that would you say or
0: i don't know because i don't think the manic pixie dream girl is something in every single one of these types of films yeah i think you do see it occasionally um and it depends on who's writing the film and what who's the main character of the film and what does the main character need? Yeah. And I think that's where I'm going to Okay, well, pixie Gone with a Wind, girl... Wind,
1: she's not... Um, no, you know, she's but incredibly she's the com- main
0: character. But she's...
1: It's incredible... I was going to say, I mean, I love Gone with the Wind. It's one of my favourite films, I think.
0: If anything, Ashley's the manic pixie dream girl That's in that. interesting.
1: You're right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So
0: I think maybe it can very much happen for both sets of people, but I, I think...
1: Do you know what I think one of the problems is? If, mm. I, if I may just kind of... I don't... You know me, I don't mind cliches. They're sometimes quite entertaining and enjoyable. I'm never going to be the kind of person who sits there and says that a James Bond film is sexist, okay? (laughs) Because they're just entertaining. But... I will say this, there are, it is interesting that there does seem to be, and I think it's getting better. Mm. Okay. But there does seem to be a, the the stereotype of kind of, we have to cast this woman as, you know, saint or sinner, you know, we have to, in very broad strokes, we can't have an awful lot of nuance. We can't have an awful lot of, she can't be, you know, conflicted. She can't be, you know, a three dimensional character. I think it is getting better, Mm. but it becomes interesting when you, I think some characters are, are thinly drawn by necessity um you know for example and this can go in you know either way gender wise i mean if you have a sort of female centric drama in which you know there's some in one of the plots there's a character who gets involved with a guy who's just there as to be a love interest yeah you know that does happen too sometimes yeah you know but it does happen typically if you watch you know action adventure film and there's a girl in it and it's like you know she really isn't there to do anything other than be rescued and kind of you know and that so sort of thing
0: in that context how do you feel about indiana jones
1: well indiana jones is interesting i feel that there's okay let's unpack these raiders of the lost ark i think marion is actually a really great character
0: yeah and i like her okay. a lot
1: But let's be honest, okay? Let's let's let's. Um, I'll I shall. I don't have a Me Too hat, but let's pretend I do. I shall put my Me Too hat on here. Looking, I'm looking. It
0: looks tremendous. Okay, she's basically.
1: She was basically statutory raped, right? That's what they hint at by. Harrison Ford's character in that film. I mean, I don't know if they, I don't know if maybe that's going too far because it doesn't say that. But she, there's that conversation where he comes into the bar at the, in Nepal, and and she's she says it was wrong and you knew it, and he says to her, "You knew what you were doing," and she says, "Now I do. This is my place. Get out."
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Okay.
1: I mean, it's brilliant dialogue, and I think it's done. it's it establishes the relationship very well. But obviously, that is a romantic subplot in the film, but actually she's a brilliant character more than capable of holding her own is spunky and feisty and you know but she's not a mary sue either because no. i think that she is cli- she's definitely
0: fallible i mean she yeah. gets kidnapped halfway through the film i know
1: and yeah she's she does a few very inept things <laughs> yes, she does you know so it's she's
0: a bit clumsy <laughs> yeah
1: and so and, and i love the way she sort of tries to drunkenly seduce the kind of french villain and mm. you know and all of mm. that sort of stuff it is so she is a very fun character but if you contrast that with what um happened in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, mm. where you basically got the screaming blonde stereotype. Yeah, And th- I know that both George Lucas and Steven Spielberg said, okay, in retrospect, we may have slightly misjudged it. That but, was
0: Cape Capsule, yes, right? Who,
1: who Spielberg went married, on to marry. Yeah, yes. exactly. But do you know what, though? I again, I find it funny because I watch. I kind of get what they were trying to do. They were sort of trying to do the sort of um, you know nineteen thirties matinee serial, uh, you know, virgin sacrifice into volcano to appease fire god kind yeah, of 100%. nonsense. And they and and they wanted the scream queen thing to try and do it. But they, I mean, it irritated a lot of people, including Kate Capshaw, who you know she said, "Look, as a feminist, I find this just preposterous." But it is entertaining to watch, and I don't, you know, it is kind of funny. I mean, if you look at the banter between them in the scene just before they find the secret passage, where they have that um, hilarious scene where she's trying to seduce him and he says some things that upset, and then they kind of go back to their separate rooms, and she says, You know, if you want me, you know where you can find yeah, me. You know? and it's kind of, you know, and then it just some of that stuff is is very, very funny, and I suppose it doesn't. I don't know. Uh, it's interesting because I think that that, that Marion is a terrific character. Ke- you know, Willie Scott is not a great character by contrast, but I still kind of like watching her. She's
0: definitely she's definitely a stereotype. Yes. Whereas Marion doesn't quite feel like a no. stereotype. She feels like someone you'd be very interested to meet in real life. Yes. And go somewhere with. Yes. Whereas I would not want to go somewhere with Willie Scott because no, I feel like I could predict everything that was going to happen.
1: And of course, in the third film, um, the Allison Doody character, Elsha.
0: Sh- sh- well, she's just
1: <laughs> Elsha. Yeah. <laughs> she's just a you know. <laughs> she talks in her sleep.
0: You oh know? <laughs> that moment was amazing. Okay, when, when
1: I, when that on the, I remember on the original release when I went to see that in the cinema, honestly, there, there's, you know, there's a big pause there. That's because the whole audience is guffawing. No, but at to that be point. fair
0: though, I watched that when I was like seven or eight and I remember being like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> how does he know that she, like having the whole thought process that a kid would have but, of like, hold up a second. Did what, what, where, how? Well,
1: it was, absolutely hilarious and of course but by by, you know i was what 14 when that film came out i remember you know i was old enough to know what was going on yeah but interestingly she's a femme fatale in that film mm-hmm. which is again i know we've discussed previously on on the podcast yes yeah, you should whole, listen to it we did a whole podcast on the femme fatale didn't we i mean um and that's a very very interesting character too although in again in in, in indiana jones it's fairly straightforward
0: well and i was gonna say it is a little bit of a stereotype as well it's this idea that women when they go bad really go bad do you know what i mean and they are transgressing like the good woman the saintly woman the perfect woman
1: yes but i do think just to sort of bring this again i do think it's getting better i do think female characters are getting more nuanced i think that that part of it is to do with i sound like such a such a PC cliche. I was just
0: going to say, I was like, Um, Simon, coming from you, this is shocking. No, you know, I just,
1: because I don't, I don't like to sort of bang the drum for sort of political correctness, but I do think it's good. Here's what I do think. Honestly, hand on heart. I think we get better stories Mm. if we have women writers bringing their perspective.
0: Okay. So let's talk about this then. So Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who I love her writing, Killing Eve, awesome series. And then, um, Fleabag, amazing as well, both so well written, is coming on to James Bond, which was brought on, I think Daniel Craig suggested her, and yes. she said emphatically that she's not there to take any sexism out. It's not. That's not why she's there. She's just there to write.
1: Yes, which I think is terrific, and I think she'll do a brilliant... I mean, obviously we haven't seen the film yet, but because it's out, what, next year? I think so. Yes, but the thing is that I think she'll do a terrific job, and I think she has understood that, no, we're not here to make James Bond's character PC. politically correct. No, what we are here to do is to give the women in the story more kind of from their perspective and from that, you know, and actually look at it objectively rather than to sort of... Do you understand what I'm saying? Well,
0: and I think think what you're saying, really, is just that by giving female characters this depth or these other dimensions, all you're doing is you're just making better stories by having better characters. Well, I agree. Take away the gender of male or female and it's just better characters well, what I you're agree. doing is improving writing for different yeah. characters I mean
1: anyone who makes James Bond anything less than a womanizer has missed the point but at the same time that that you don't need to be uh, sort of seen to necessarily endorse that it's right to bring in an element of self-criticism and if you look at they've been doing that as far back as Goldeneye you know when when Judi Dench calls him a sexist misogynist dinosaur which is funny and it's true
0: yeah 100% so,
1: so it's kind of you know I don't see that there's a problem with that what I, what I think there's a a The problem with is if you then say well well, we can't have him he needs to be sort of self-consciously trousers up
0: well because i think otherwise if we we erase all that sort of behavior in film or tv but it still goes on in real life all of a sudden it's it becomes like you're censoring all media yes
1: it becomes a bit orwellian
0: and there's no accurate portrayal of different types of people because there is behavior which is shit in real life And so that should be reflected in film sometimes.
1: Yeah, I agree. I'm just going to say one more thing on this because then we should probably, I don't know how long we've been going on, we should probably wrap this up. Keep going. I want to say, because we've gone on some amusing tangents, but I do think that there's one thing that I found interesting recently as a, as a horror aficionado, okay? Um, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's somebody who's involved in Blumhouse Productions. And he made a comment relatively recently about, oh, well, I'd love to hire female directors, but there aren't any for horror. And it was it provoked an outcry because, of mm. course, there are loads. Yeah, There are some brilliant female horror directors. I, there's a real renaissance of it at the moment. You know, people like Jennifer Kent, uh, Julia de Um uh and and various others who are who are doing terrific work and i think again you know bringing that that a perspective that i don't think you would get with a male writer director and
0: i don't think there's anything wrong with those different perspectives but i think we want to see both so you can see the different points of view of course i
1: mean I, i i honestly like again a film The Babadook which is probably my favourite horror film of this decade yeah. I know we've talked about it a few times I, you know I, I think it was just such a superb calling card for Jennifer Kent and um, it
0: was know, so emotionally nuanced
1: yes and and you know and it was a proper spine freezer you know it didn't <laughs> yeah, I know you didn't... made
0: me watch it with you on Halloween it scared <laughs> the crap out of me I was terrified
1: but that's what I'm saying so I'm just making the point that you know I do think that you know, political correctness aside, you're only going to have a richer experience and a more varied experience mm. by by having these people involved. So, you know, and yes, we and what we shouldn't do is say, oh, well, you know, we're somehow going to be easier on it just because it's directed by a woman or whatever. No, we apply the same criticisms. But, you know, like anything else, they'll be good and they'll be bad. So, so
0: well, coming back to the central question then, because we've got about five minutes. So in terms of romance as a main dish, I think it's the same way as we're saying... Developing all characters, not just one character. I think romance as a main dish doesn't ring true or feel whole because life is never romance as a main dish. Nobody walks through life. And it's like those cliche Christmas comedies where it's like, my life is all about my relationship. Huh?
1: Yes, but I think what romantic romance as a genre often does is when you do fall in love, it does feel all consuming. And mm. so obviously that's not the only thing in life. But I mean, if you really want to be critical, Pride and Prejudice was, you know, set during the Napoleonic Wars. Where are the Napoleonic Wars in those
0: books? They do not factor at all exactly. in any way, shape, but or But I'd on. say that
1: was fairly tumultuous and yeah. fairly relevant and fairly important to what was going on at the time. But no, it's all about the romance of these you know, characters. And so I think romance as a genre takes into consideration the fact that when you fall in love, you does feel all consuming.
0: See, I'm not, I don't think that's the case for everything. And I don't think that it diminishes your love if it doesn't feel consuming. Cause I would put to you that you are romantic.
1: Yes, I am. So
0: I feel, cause I'm not a romantic. Um, so therefore for me, when I fall in love, it is forever and it is fantastic. And it is wonderful, but it's not all consuming, Okay. and it doesn't change me okay. as a person Okay, you see, you see, I think my, it's
1: interesting because I think this is a personality thing. Then, yeah, because because I would I would say the opposite. I would say yeah, I actually would say love is a horror story. Okay, because <laughs> I'm gonna get you because,
0: a T shirt with that on.
1: No, it is because I. You see, I don't understand why people get at least for me love and romance and horror are two sides of the same coin, and I'll mm. explain why. Because you are, I mean, when I fell in love with my wife. It was terrifying because I was emotionally absolutely out of control. Nothing would stop me. You know, there were two options. I was going to marry her. I was going to die. I know that sounds melodramatic, but but it is frightening to feel that out of control and that all consumed and that all, uh, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? That all in, yeah. if you know what I mean. And so that's why, imagine, obviously my wife and I are very, very happy and have been for you know nearly 20 years, but... Imagine if it had all gone pear-shaped. And that's where the horror element comes in. And that's where you get something like, you know, films like we talked about, Vertigo, the idea of being obsessed to that degree with, actually, with because the whole point of Vertigo is he's in love with something that doesn't exist, yeah, you know. And that's a sort of very David Lynchian kind of existential horror of of that sort of... And that's why, for me, you know, love... And horror are just, it's like they're two sides of the same coin. And I, at least, you know, can be. And certainly when I look in film and certain kinds of film, obviously. And, and sadly in real life in some cases.
0: Mm. But I think that's also to do with the fact that they can both be taken to very, very, very far extremes. Yes. The most extreme because, and eventually they may meet at those extremes because what you would do for love can eventually become horrific. Yes, and I think that's that thing. It, it has the capacity to go there, yes, if you let it, and if your personality is so inclined. No, of course.
1: I mean, you know, how many Agatha Christie murder stories oh, have yeah. you seen? Where it's like, well, they did it for you know, obsessive love, you yeah. know, whatever. And and actually, yes, I'm, you know, my wife, by the way, in stark contrast, is is you know a lot more reasonable than I am.
0: But, and I, but I do. I am think a, I'm a very down.
1: extreme person. I kind of I I you know I struggle to find middle ground in a lot of things, and you know.
0: I think it would be really interesting to interview people who've been convicted of that a crime of passion and to see if they consider themselves romantics and to see how that correlates. But anyway, we've gone on loads of tangents I'm not saying I'd kill anyone, by the way. (laughs) Please don't. That's terrifying. (laughs) But we've gone on loads of tangents today and that's all we've got time for. We're actually towards the end of the episode. So thank you very much for listening. Make sure you check us out on your social media. There is now a plethora of... Of episodes for you to go and listen to. I think a good one for us to link to is the femme fatale one.
1: Yes, the film noir femme fatale. I'm not sure what it's titled, but I think yeah. we did a
0: two parter on that one. actually. What film noir
1: did we? Yes, mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think we did because I think we did one on on sort of classic film noir and one on sort of
0: femme fatales because they do tend to go. I head think in and the head second head. part
1: we talked more about noir fusions with science fiction and horror. Blade and Blade Runner. All yes, that jazz. that's right.
0: Really good episodes. Strongly encourage you to listen to them. So if you search the Tangentry, we are on Facebook and we're also have our own website so make sure you go check that out there's a whole new season that's coming out we're talking about things ranging from time travel to star wars so you don't want to miss it but from me samantha stephen
1: from me simon Dillon. we'll
0: see you next time on the Tangent Tree.